0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers one, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So, today we have a very exciting guest, a guest that is really making it happen when it comes to fintech and in Latin America. I think that we're going to be learning a lot of uh, the highs, the lows of entrepreneurship, and a super inspiring story as a whole. So, I guess without further
1: ado, let's welcome our guest today, Adalberto Flores. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here, Alejandro. and. Uh... Thank you everybody to you know i'm I'm super excited to have uh, this conversation with you so let's do
0: a little of a walk through Memory Lane Adalberto. So tell us about life growing up in Guadalajara in Mexico where you have tequila, you have a uh, tech
1: you have mariachis I mean all the good stuff in in one single place so Guadalajara is the second largest city in Mexico in terms of uh, population and um it uh, it was historically a very commercial city, but um you know tequila was actually uh, invented in the region. And all around, uh, you know, Guadalajara is the capital of Jalisco, Jalisco state. And then I would say Jalisco and all the surrounding states are kind of like where, you know, like 100% of the tequila is actually being made. And I think it's it's a really interesting combination. So it's a it's a city that's, uh, that was traditionally more conservative, but the new generation is significantly much more d- disruptive. You know, people living in Guadalajara are starting to travel out, you know, to other places of the world um, and live with other cultures. And I think that the cultural shock between, you know, young people living in Guadalajara and older people is is much higher than or much bigger than other cultural shocks, typically generational shocks. It's a beautiful city, phenomenal weather. We have the largest lake in Mexico called the Lake of Chapala, just, the, you know, like one hour driving distance. And it's interesting because uh, it always rains a lot it's it's uh and when it rains, it really really rains. It feels kind of like a small hurricane when it rains uh so there's a lot of vegetation in and, and I think it's a beautiful city i i every time I've been living in other parts of the world, but every time i i i uh i feel that i'm i i i want to go home and eat some uh tacos and and avocados and all of the chilaquiles <laughs> and all of the Mexican food that we have in Guadalajara. That's amazing.
0: Tacos that el pastor. I love it. Yeah. So, so now, now let me ask you this. Because for you, I mean, you've been exposed to different cultures, and you were exposed to Chinese and in China and Mandarin that you were learning to. Also, you uh, went to Brazil as well. So, how do you think that that all these different cultures have shaped you and the way that you really, you know, look at things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, it's a good question. So I would say, um, specifically. So I was living in 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 Shanghai. I I, w- I was starting my bachelor's in Mandarin, and I think number one, it it makes you feel more humble because um, I remember when I was going to China, I was telling people, "Hey, I'm from Mexico." They were like, "Oh, Mexico? Yeah, that country. I think they play football, right?" And that was the only thing they they knew about uh, about Mexico. So when I was living in Mexico, I felt Mexico is such a huge country. It's like the you know, the top 15 economy in the world and things like that. And and people in China didn't really recognize about Mexico. So it, um, and then I would say you know, it was interesting because my my Chinese classes in Mexico were actually taught in Spanish. So they would say in Spanish, oh, this is how you say hello. And this is how you say doctor and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but in China, my classes were actually taught in Chinese. And, you know, I was uh, all of my my classmates were actually, you know, Japanese, Korean, Indonesian. And boy, they were so smart. I remember I, I was um, when we started the class, um, you know, I I had uh, I was you know, I was a student that had the longest period of time studying Mandarin. I, I've been studying it for one and a half years at that point of time. And the rest of my fo- my classmates were kind of like, oh, I've studied Mandarin like one month or a couple of months. Um, the longest one was six months. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you classes. You know, um, and the reality is that was totally the opposite. I was, a, you know, the the worst student in my Chinese classes. It was so interesting. But um, I think that um, what's interesting about the Chinese culture, I would say it's number one, semi culture, cultural. So they're really, really proud about their culture. And it's such a long culture. China and Chinese is known to be one of the one of the three civilizations that that invented writing from scratch so one is mesopotamia the second one is mesoamerica and then the third one is Ch- is is china and the chinese characters and you can see the evolution of the chinese characters how did they evolve from from the core you know like very old traditional writings into the modern chinese, chinese simplified chinese and um in it's very logical in some aspects. Um, it's it's uh, you can um, once you once you know how to write some you know like uh, let's say like a, a couple of thousand characters, you kind of like start recognizing the logic between what does each character mean and things like that. And um, it's very logical. It's very pragmatic. Very similar to people in China, they're very logical and pragmatic, and the the way people um express themselves is uh much more much the, it's very different from the way people could express a feeling in in um in Spanish for example so so you know i would say spanish is a more romantic language if i can say it this way in which there's so many ways you can express feelings and 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 Chine, chinese is a much more logical language in which you you can express more practical things so that was definitely one aspect. And then the other one was, um, you know, like um, um, I was able to, you know, to spend time with uh, people from Japan, from Korea, from China, loved every, every one of them. And one thing that I noticed is that people in Mexico typically are really focused on relationships, on family and relationships. Uh, it's really, really important. And people in China were a little bit much more focused on the work and on self-improvement and um in in you know uh learning more stuff and, and 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 growing professionally, they did have some strong uh focus on their family, especially with their parents you know many of the folks over there are are, are their single childs uh, but um yeah so even that kind of like I would say like what people value their values are significantly different in China it's more around Knowledge about you know work um, and and professional development, and in Mexico it's a little bit more around um, family and and uh, and and relationships and friends.
0: So then let's talk about valuing because the in your case you know you did a little bit of uh, of testing the waters with maybe corporate internships, but then you ended up uh, building your first company, your first baby, in Vico. And uh, what I want to ask you here is obviously Invico. you know, it's, uh, it's as they say, you either succeed or you learn. And in this case, you learned a lot. And, and tell us about like, how did you, you know, really get started with Imbico? I mean, how, how did you end up saying, you know what, I'm going to go at it? Because in Mexico, the culture is also very different. I mean, in Mexico is either you become a lawyer or you become a banker, right? I mean, becoming a, an entrepreneur now, maybe it's a little bit more accepted. But before, back then, people were like, what the hell are you doing? No? So, so how did you come up, you know, with the idea of Invico, and why did you decide it was a good idea to go at it?
1: So here's how I started. So I told my sister, who used to be an HR manager at the at the at the software company in Guadalajara, and I told her, hey, I want to start a company, and 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 you work at, at a software company, so can you introduce me to um, a programmer, an engineer, a software engineer, uh, with whom I can actually start my own company, right? And she's like, yeah. So I know this guy. He's um, his name is Vidal Gonzalez, and he's um, he's the one that actually had the highest IQ in the company. But at the same time, he's his personality is very entrepreneurial. Um, and I know he kind of like wants to find he wants to start a company. So I'm gonna introduce you, and uh, and then you can decide if you want to start a company together. So that's what she did. So, so I got introduced to him by email, and we were able to sit down on a Starbucks, a couple of blocks outside of his office. And um, it was interesting because I kind of like proposed him to be my founder. That specific, they just, you know, immediately after I met him. And it's funny because, you know, like when when you find, when you're starting a company with somebody, it's you're like you're spending like 80% of your time with that person. Uh, you spend more time with your founder or your founders than with your wife or your husband, uh, because uh, you know, you just fo- totally focus on that, and um, and when you want to get married, you typically don't go to a bar and say, "Hey, I want to get married. Do you want to marry me?" and and um, and then let's have kids and things like. That. No, you typically develop that relationship. You you typically get introduced. You typically go th- on dating, and then it gets formal, and then you end up uh, getting married. But in 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 with Vidal, it's kind of like it was. I I really really went to, on fast track and said, "Hey Vidal, I just met you a couple of minutes ago. My sister speaks fantastic about you. I want to start a company with you. Can you resign your job right now and let's start a company together?" And I have a couple of ideas. And and Vico was the original idea. And we just need to raise you know funding. This is the way it works. You just you know there's something there's a term called. Uh, you know, venture capital. So we raise capital, we pay ourselves a salary with the capital and uh, and we hire people and then we grow and we grow and then eventually we either get acquired or we IPO. Like that was my pitch. And interesting enough, Vidal said like, yeah, let's do that. Right? Like, uh, so it was funny that he, he, you know, he just met me just a few minutes ago and he was willing to quit his job and 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 join me to to start this company. So obviously Vidal is very entrepreneurial. And, and we, we had a couple of ideas that we could actually discuss, and, um, and, um, and we ended up with an idea, which was the original idea of Invico, which I do believe it's actually an, an awesome idea. I still believe it was a great idea, which is basically we, we wanted to build a marketplace in which um, individuals could actually ask other people within the marketplace to help them with something they need help on. So, for example, hey, I need to recruit an engineer. I'm going to be posting a bounty. If you help me recruit an engineer, hey, I need to meet this person. I need to sell my car. I need to do something. So it's kind of like a a, a, a marketplace in which you can ask people for favors and you can pay with a bounty if people help you out. I think it's a great, I think it was a great idea, to be honest. Um, there are some sort of like similar companies that are currently right now in and specifically, spec- you know, focused on specific verticals. But I, th- I think it was a great idea. And um, so what happened? What happened? Why it didn't work out? You know, we ended up raising capital from a few folks. At the end, it seems like the relationship with those investors didn't turn out to do well. We ended up, um, you know, we, we only raised like $10,000. Um, we were running out of cash. And then there was this prize that was called the, you know, the Intel Entrepreneurship Challenge. And they were gonna giving they were gonna be giving us, uh, you know, prices like from five thousand dollars to twenty five thousand dollars, and we were like, oh, we shit, we should definitely try to win that because that's gonna help us live. That's gonna help us live a little bit more, right?" And yeah. um and and it was funny because we were the finalists in Mexico, um and we had to win the first prize, uh in Mexico to go and compete in the Latin America Latin, uh, Intel Challenge, and we went to the you know, to the local incubator, and we pitched them one day before the, the 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 tournament. If I can say it this way, and they totally destroyed us. And they said, "You're not pitching. You're not engaging. You're not explaining well. You're doing everything wrong." So what I did is, like, before we went and over, like, so we were in in Guadalajara, and we had to move to Mexico City to uh, to pitch to do the final pitch, and and they and the judges were going to decide who was going to be winning and I, I i ended up saying like let's let's you know i went to i went to go uh, to youtube and said um, you know uh presentation skills um you know after steve jobs like steve jobs presentation skills that's what i googled or what i did in, in youtube and it was interesting because you know there there were very simple things that you had to do so it said basically it said all of your presentations have to have images one image Uh, You want to have either uh, a blank, like a white uh, background or a dark background, you know, almost no words. And at the end of the presentation, you need to say something that's going to leave the audience impressed. So you say something impressed and then you say, "That's that's amazing. Or that's fantastic. Right. Or that's marvelous. So it's interesting because next day I said, I totally rewrote the pitch using these techniques with, you know, pictures, almost no words, and saying, fantastic, right? And it was funny because I was pitching investors, and I said, oh, Invico, this is what you can do. You can monetize your connections and your context. That is amazing. And then I had to pause and see the judges, and they were paying actually paying a lot of attention. And my friends were like, yeah, yeah, that's how you need to do it, right? <laughs> um, so, so I started. I, I actually pitched the the idea similar to how Steve Jobs used to pitch his, his ideas. And fast forward, we got we got the first prize. Um, thanks thanks to Steve Jobs, uh, rest in peace. We we um, we ended up winning the, the 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 third place in Latin America. We got uh, I think like five thousand dollars. And um, there was this. Um, we met one of our advisors, which is the it was one of the early Google employees. Um, they call them the the Googliners because they, they made a lot of money with their stocks, yeah. with their pre-IPO stocks with Google. And he said, hey, why don't you join the company, our company? It's called Uyala. You, you can learn about how to build teams, technology, how to raise capital, how to have a board. And if you want, uh, you can stay here for a couple of years. You can commit for a couple of years. And if you want to continue to be in the company, you can stay. Or if you still want to build another company, you can leave. Uh, but you're going to learn to ha- a hell a lot of things from really top talent in, in, Silicon, in, you know, in Silicon Valley. Uh, and um, so we decided to join that company, which is Uyala. Um, and, uh, in, and we opened the offices of Uyala in Mexico. And it was pretty much our own startup. We, and we learned a bunch of stuff from really, really smart people. So that's how, that's how uh, things ended from that company. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell
0: you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either Feel free to send me an email at Alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then as they say, once an entrepreneur always an entrepreneur, at what point does the idea of whiskey, which is your latest baby and a smashing hit? at what point you know that that idea really comes to to mind here?
1: yeah um so so basically exact so I made a commitment with Bismarck, which is one of the founders of Uyala, he said, you need to be in the company at least two years. That's your commitment. It's a verbal commitment. It's a it's a gentleman's commitment, if I can say it this way. Exactly on the on the year two, I told Desmarque, hey, I do want to leave the company. And I have a few ideas. And essentially what I did is I, I invited a group of friends that were founders. And I told them, hey, I want to start a company. And I don't know what idea do I want to focus on. So what I'm going to be doing is on every single day or every couple of days, I'm going to think about a business idea and you're going to be getting an email, a group email informing you about the idea, the value proposition and the pitch. It was just one short email. And if you can reply to all saying, what do you think about the idea and the pitch and the feedback? That would be phenomenal, right? Like that would that. So I did that, and I I think I wrote like about 60 ideas or something like that, or fi- or 40 ideas, I don't know how many. And they were giving me a lot of feedback. And um, I think I think there was a Lola Palooza or Lula Palooza type of effect in which I I wrote a couple of ideas related to improving access to financing in Mexico, and I was actually seeing how there was just such a lack of access to financing in Mexico, and how difficult and painful was it to have access to financial services in Mexico? Well, you know, essentially what happened is my—I remember my my father, you know, decades ago, he told me how he got rejected on—you know—he wanted to have a credit card, he got rejected, and he needed that credit card for their business, and um, you know, and and the, and it was a good business, but he got rejected, so. Decades after he still remembers why he got rejected so so it was a very emotional aspect for him and then uh you know my co-founder didn't have a credit card i you know it was very difficult for me to have a credit card and then my credit agreement was really low and even to be honest even right now like i wanted to i wanted to you know just a couple of days ago i wanted i went to the bank because I wanted to get a check a physical check i had i haven't written a physical check like in ten years. And and I wanted to cancel my bank account, and I wanted to get my new credit card, and I spent one and a half hours in the bank, and I I had and none of them got ex- like I didn't get my check, I didn't got my credit card, and I and I couldn't close my bank account, <laughs> so yeah. I was um you know like I I think I was so frustrated back then and even today about uh, how how can we significantly improve access to financial services in Mexico using technology and using AI and machine learning that I, 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 you know, we decided to start the company.
0: So what is the business model of Questi for the people that are listening to get it?
1: Yeah. So we have three different products. The, the first one is, uh, um, you know, or the largest one is a buy now, pay later product. Um, so you can go, to it's and and it's a, it's an online and it's an offline or an in-store binopulator product. So you go into the checkout of a of a, of a site in which you want to buy something, and um, you select this type of payment system. And essentially, it splits your payment in four, and um and uh, so you can pay it in four, and um, and and you'll pay no interest rate. So, for example, if you want to buy something for one hundred dollars, you use QuestPay. And you can pay in four installments of twenty five dollars, no interest rate. So that's one. And then you can do the same thing physically, but you just need to scan a QR code, get approved, and then you can walk out what what outside of a store with with the things that you want to buy. So it's the buy now, pay later product. And the interesting thing of what we do is that um, we're not forcing people to have a bank account in Mex. And I think I think that's real. That's that's actually very relevant in Mexico because most of the people in mexico do not have a bank account and the vast majority of people in mexico do not have a credit card so we're not forcing people to have a bank account we're not forcing people to have a credit history and what we do is we use um we have a team of more than 60 people working you know building the credit technologies that we have so that we can understand you know you know people's profiles and and um and 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 be really good on assessment assessing who's subject to a credit uh or who's not, right? And and we've analyzed a bunch of stuff. We, you know, we know how people type. If they type extremely fast, they tend to be fraud when they are filling out the questionnaire. If they type slow, they they're not fraud, but they typically have a lower credit uh capacity. And if they type fast but not extremely fast, they tend to be really good customers. So essentially what we did is we what we do is we analyze thousands of data sources and we can decide in a matter of seconds who's subject for a credit and who's not subject for a credit. So that's one product. That's a binopulator product. The second one is a a direct lending product as well. So people can go into the website or the mobile app. They can request the loan. They fill out the questionnaire in a couple of minutes and they receive it directly to their bank account. Um, And then the the third one, this is more kind of like an R&D mode, but basically it's a salary advanced product. Um, So we connect to the Payrolls of 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 of, uh, of of companies, and we can offer their employees a salary advance for free. We're not charging a fee; it's it's uh it's free, and uh, and people can get access to liquidity um uh through their own earned wage advance, so uh, or earned earned salary. So those are the three models.
0: So in this case, how much capital have you guys raised to date? How have you guys thought about capitalizing here the business?
1: So we've raised the several rounds um, in, in equity and all the rounds in equity and debt rounds. We've raised more than three hundred million dollars. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then, uh, how does like a business like this, when you are thinking about raising on the equity side or on the debt side, like because obviously the debt side you need it for the operational uh, structure, and then the equity side is more like to build the actual business. So how do you how do you
1: really go about you know pushing both? so for the equity capital we're typically using it to you know to do um i would say you know many opex operating expenses you know salaries marketing expenses you know office uh you know uh, rent and um you know engineering r&d etc and um and for the so it goes more for the pnl if i can say it this way uh or it's you can you see it reflected all around the financial statements but uh, you you see spend most of it in the p l and um on the contrary the debt capital is is uh, is a is a, is um is is a loan that you take so that you can grow your loan book with that capital as opposed to using your equity because your equity is your most expensive capital that you have equity is expensive and but if you get if you can get debt and you can start financing most of your loans with debt that's less less that's less expensive um and um and essentially you see that in your balance sheet uh, that's where you see or I mean that's where you see it reflected because you draw from your credit facility and you increase you know your debt from one perspective and you increase your assets from the portfolio perspective so that's how we we manage it so so basically it's uh it, you know it's focused on gr- on growing the portfolio with uh with the credit facility that we have
0: and how big is Queski today? You know, anything that you can share in terms of uh, numbers or employees or anything that you feel comfortable with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're we're almost 700 employees. Uh, most of them are in Mexico. We have been people in South America, United States and and Europe. We've done more than six million loans. We've lent uh, like about one billion or more than one billion dollars through a platform. Uh, we have, uh, more than 1 million unique customers that have, uh, that be, that have been using our product. Yeah. And, uh, I think those are the numbers. I mean, numbers that I have top of mind and, 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 the the, and the by now later product has gone just like off off the roof. Uh, depending on how you met, ma- like, when do you measure it and things like that? It's just like, it, it doubles every, every, you know, it doubles every, just every, every few months.
0: Wow. Now. Very interesting here, obviously, what you've done, but, you know, definitely it has come with a lot of lessons. And um, if I was to put you into a time machine and I brought you back in time, and I brought you back to that time where you were thinking about maybe starting a company right before your, even even before your sister made the introduction to this colleague that she had, if you could sit down that uh, that Adalberto and, and have a chat with your younger self. And... Share one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: I would say what one of my favorite investors in Kueski told me once, which is basically learn about the culture of successful people. Like people have, successful people have cultures. They have an incredibly strong work ethic. They are um, learning machines. They um they can they can surround themselves with very successful people. They have they can they also have a lot of um, you know weaknesses. They also have fears, and how do they manage those fears and how do they manage those weaknesses? I think that's the most difficult thing to learn, and the rest is just very easy to learn. Like you can code, if you want to code, you can just go to a coding school or you can learn yourself how to teach yourself how to code or ask a friend how to code and you can code. You can learn math, you can learn accounting, you can learn finance, you can learn marketing. There's all the things you can learn and 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 that's very easy. But how do you build the culture of success and how do you deal with problems and challenges under stress? Um, in which you need to take decisions in a matter of, you know, minutes and you need to know who to call to and um, and you need to know how to put your values in front of everything else, no matter what. I think that's just very, very difficult to learn. And if you are fortunate and every time you see somebody that's successful, try to learn that from those successful people because if you can mimic those, uh, you know, that culture, and you can apply that to your own self, and and apply whatever works for you. That's going to give you such a strong competitive advantage. I
0: love it. So, Alberto, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Oh, so I think you can uh, reach out to me through Twitter. I, I I'm definitely available on Twitter. I'm available on email. I can send over your e- e- my email so you can share with us with the rest of the folks, and uh, and Instagram. And um, yeah, and, and LinkedIn. So I uh, you know, would love to connect uh, and, and, uh, and engage with anybody that wants to reach out to me.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, thank you so, so much, Alberto, for being on the DealMaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with all of us.
1: Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Alejandro. And it was great uh, being here. And thank you for the invitation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as
0: well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself. Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next
1: episode.